This show may contain explicit language and or spoilers. Where we're going, we don't need roads. Carpe diem. Seize the day, boys. Just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. Good morning, Vietnam! I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore! They call it a royale with cheese. I have always depended on the kindness of strangers. You've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Shaken, not stirred. They call me Mr. Tibbs. I'll have what she's having. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. You make me want to be a better man. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. Go ahead. Make my day. You can't handle the truth. I'm walking here. I'm walking here. May the force be with you. To infinity and beyond. They're here. Are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? Yes, we are, because this is the greatest movie of all time podcast. The only way to beat my crazy was by doing something even crazier. Thank you. I love you. I knew it from the moment I saw you. I'm sorry it took me so long to catch up. This is the Silver Linings Playbook episode. Number uh, 11 of the Greatest Movie of All Time podcast. I'm Tom Duncan. And I'm Dana Duncan. And you were just quoting the movie and not saying that to me. That's correct. I actually have something for that later on. So... Tonight, we're bringing you uh, Silver Linings Playbook from 2012, uh, a movie by David O. Russell and um, starring Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Lawrence, and Robert De Niro. So uh, for all of you that uh, listened to last week's episode, we did say you could catch this on Netflix. Uh, Hopefully that you did uh, before you listen to this episode. Um, If you haven't, I would suggest going and doing so now before uh, we talk about it, but... um, Just uh, for the basic uh, synopsis that we do every week, uh, after losing his job and wife and spending time in a mental mental institution, Pat Solitano, played by Bradley Cooper, winds up living with his parents, Robert De Niro and Jackie Weaver. He wants to rebuild his life and reunite with his wife, but his parents would be happy if he just shared their obsession with the Philadelphia Eagles. Things get complicated when Pat meets Tiffany, played by Jennifer Lawrence, who offers to help him reconnect with his wife if he will do something very important for her in exchange. So, uh, we'll just quickly kind of go over the movie. Um, I do remember watching this when it came out. This has been part of my ongoing uh, Oscar project for well over a decade at this point uh, to watch every Best Picture nominee. Uh, It translated from watching every Best Picture nominee um, each year in after the fact almost because you couldn't always get to some of these to trying to get every one of them in before the awards now. Um, And uh, this was one of those that I had watched back. I do remember watching it in college and uh, I think the world of this film, uh, I don't think you watched it back when it originally came out. I think you watched it a couple of years after. Is that right? Correct. So uh, I know 
just in talking from you uh, in the past couple of days that you've had a more difficult time with this movie than I have, um, this has always been a fun, actually, rewatch for me uh, because I like more of the kind of rebuilding romantic aspects of this, but it deals with a very uh, difficult and complicated situation, um, mental illness, and specifically uh, Bradley Cooper's um, dealing with it, you know, at least uh, in the actions before this movie, um, undiagnosed and untreated bipolar disorder, which uh, he slowly helps rebuild his life after uh, receiving the diagnosis and kind of going through treatment. So um, we're just going to kind of go through the movie here. Um, we kind of, or if you haven't seen this before, again, uh, my suggestion to go and watch it now if you can. Um, we try and make these uh, ones that people can e easily find or make available so um, it kind of opens up. We're in a mental hospital. We get a very quick introduction to Pat. He's going through the normal mental hospital uh, type things, getting his pills, which, of course, he um, does the defiant thing and spits out. Uh, his mother comes to collect him. And his friend Danny, played by one of your favorite actors, Chris Tucker, uh, tries to stow away uh, in order to uh, escape the uh, mental ward. Um, we get, quickly get introduced to uh, his father, Pat Sr., uh, played by Robert De Niro, who is now focusing on being a bookie because this movie apparently takes place in 2008 during the recession after he's lost his job. And so half of the movie kind of focuses on this sports angle, which um, kind of ties in, but at least at first doesn't make a whole lot of sense uh, as to how it's going to deal with the concluding action of this. And uh, we're just kind of quickly flown through the uh, first couple of scenes. So anything that stuck out to you about anything that we've brought up so far? No, it's just it, to watch a situation with mental illness and go through the whole uh, situation of uh, a marriage breakup and that whole thing just was, I found difficult to watch. Well, and... We haven't quite gotten to the the part of that. Uh, they don't really reveal for a few scenes and really what exactly happened or what's exactly going on. They kind of keep you in the dark that he's been there by court order uh, due to something obviously that happened. Um, you would assume that it has some physical violent aspect to it, but um, as they refer to it later, the incident uh, isn't revealed till uh, a couple of scenes on. Correct. But I mean, you can tell that it, it's the tone, the or the it, it's not just the tone. It's the the way that the movie is shot. It, there's almost a dark tone to it as it come, starts. It's not in shadows, but it's pretty close. Um, well, I guess I've never really gotten that because I, I feel this entire movie is kind of building towards something. And it really doesn't have a uh, ebb and flow or a, a peak in a valley type of thing. It just is kind of him rebuilding his life the entire time and having trying to have this positive outlook to put his life back together after he's been in the mental hospital. So um, obviously this uh, leads to him reading um, part of the syllabus for a woman referred to as Nikki at this point. We have not yet found out that... 
Uh, but spoiler, she is his uh, wife or soon-to-be ex-wife. Um, and he's reading a farewell to arms as part of the syllabus. Of course, uh, this is really only to highlight that <laughs> there is um, darkness in just about every corner of um, all of these uh, books that she is assigning. And that um, if you have not read Farewell to Arms, I won't necessarily spoil it to you, but it has kind of a sour ending, per se, Um it's well, a I mean, it's year old book. I suppose he does reveal the ending. Uh, I mean, what's the point in the movie? I mean, how uh, should we also avoid doing spoiler alerts that, you know, um, you know, Othello dies, or, you know, or Hamlet commits suicide? I mean, how far back? Actually, it would be more Othello kills Desdemona, but, you know, okay. Enough said. Um, all right, so, uh, but he tosses the book out the window, wakes up his parents, and um, is in this crisis of conscience because um, not everything is ha or happening with a happy ending. Um, we kind of jump off from that point where he's kind of explaining um, the notion or the tone set forth for the movie that's uh, found in the um, title itself that he's looking for his own silver lining, his own positive spin on all of these bad things that are happening to him. Um, leads to his first therapy session where it's finally revealed that uh, he uh, came home after a bad day to find his wife in the shower with the history teacher um, and then beats the shit out of the history teacher. Um, comes close to killing him. Yeah. So they don't really say, but the reason he's in he's committed was it was a plea bargain, which is um, for those of you who are unaware, if you uh, uh, commit a crime, you can be found guilty, not guilty, or not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. This is a situation where the state agreed that he was crazy, so they let him not get convicted in exchange for a mental commitment, which is why he was in the hospital. So um, all of this um, gets into, um, eventually we have an officer uh, drop by the house because there's a uh, loud confrontation he has again with his parents and um, due to the um, restraining order and everything else that's going on, we kind of get the background of uh, all of this kind of um, um, ramping up to the all-important where the movie kind of suddenly changes, um, where he has uh, dinner with his friend Ronnie and his wife Veronica, and they ask um, Veronica's sister Tiffany to uh, come by for dinner because she is recently widowed. Yes. Uh, all culminating in the all-important uh, her preemptively um, getting up and uh, cutting dinner short, um, telling Pat that he needed to walk her home. So at the end of it, um, quote, you can fuck me so long as the lights are turned out. Yes. So um, this brings apart one of my nominees for, um, <laughs> uh, like, 
you said you were going to have a hard time with funniest lines. This is my one of my honorable mentions, but um, Ronnie basically telling him not to ask about uh, how Tiffany became a widow, and uh, she walks into the room. Pat, you look nice. Tiffany, thank you. Oh, I'm not flirting with you. Oh, I didn't think you were. I just see that you made an effort. I'm going to be better with my wife. I'm working on that. I want to acknowledge her beauty. I've never used to do that. I do now. Just practicing. Uh, how did Tommy die? Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that he's just so abruptly inappropriate and changes topics and the way he plays this as kind of like manic. Um, that he's That's just exactly what it scary. is. It's manic. So um, it kind of gives you this first... And, and frankly, that's the thing that makes this movie work as well as it does for me, um, is kind of their um, sparring between each other. Uh, all of the best parts of this movie to me are the conversations and the dialogue between the two. And if that relationship was not centered or was poor, uh, I don't think any of the rest of this movie would have worked. Well, true. I mean... <laughs> You're, you're experiencing two people who are both uh, bipolar, who are both going through a manic phase. And for those of us, such as me, who has a law practice that deals with mental illness on a large scale, you watch and see this and you understand exactly what's going on and what the situation is that they're going through. They're just not able to control their emotions, their thoughts, and um, they literally have no filters. And, you know, this is always the way this works. And for those of us who are not going through that situation, we just look at the um, the behavior as being batshit crazy. So... Uh, this obviously leads to, um, and I, I guess they don't really explain um, what or why. Um, maybe it's better uh, played out in the book because this is based on uh, a book originally. But um, why she initially tries to start things with Pat um, and kind of gets in his head, but she interrupts his uh, morning run in his trash bag that he uses to... Uh, to be able to sweat and cut weight. Um, but, uh, um, you know, trying to um, get under his skin a bit. Um, and all of this sparse back and forth up until the point where his therapist finally suggests that um, he should be friends with Tiffany in order to um, give the impression that he's improving to his wife. Um, most of Pat's motivation throughout the course of this film is, is Inevitably, as it was uh, described in the plot to sum or summary, that um, he wants to get back where he has this illusion of what uh, his life used to be, um, which isn't really borne out. And um, but ultimately, he's driven toward um, putting his life back together exactly the way it was beforehand, even though it he lets it out in little pieces here and there it wasn't as great as he remembers it to be. Well, it's part of the manic phase. People who are going through a manic phase have manifestations that come out in different ways. I've seen people with ma in manic phase who are kleptomaniacs, 
I have seen people who are in manic phases who obsess on certain things. In this particular case, Pat's obsessing over uh, his um, getting in shape, his training, uh, his reading the syllabus of Nikki, his uh, wife uh, from her English teacher, her school. For Tiffany, uh, the obsession is promiscuous sex, which is a common problem. Also, gambling can also be um, a uh, or is a very common manic phase, which I found interesting since Robert De Niro, being Pat Senior, is a bookie, which only leads me to believe that the bipolar is family oriented. Um, that's explicitly mentioned in the film that he basically Pat comes out and says, um, and I, I have to look at my notes here at something, but. Um, basically my, my dad's the, uh, 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 guy who, uh, has the issues, not me. And that it's, it's pretty explicitly laid out that that, that's the whole thing, which, you know, um, we kind of skipped over it a little bit, but after that first night, um, where, uh, uh, he meets Tiffany comes home and he's, um, trying to find his wedding video, uh, only to lead to uh, him accidentally hitting his mom and then De Niro beating the shit out of him. Um, just because, and and that's the real scene where it's kind of lit up that uh, De Niro's got all of these other problems that are hereditary. And um, it comes out later, uh, his level of guilt. He understands that he has these problems and he's been living with it forever, but um, it's not in the same way um, you would for other things. So, um, all right. So eventually Pat, uh, invites Tiffany to dinner. Um, I can get a letter to Nikki. Um, they have, uh, an episode now. This is my actual nominee for uh, funniest line in this particular instance. Um, I ordered raisin bran because I don't want it to look like a date. It could still be a date if you order raisin bran. Okay. Well, I mean, the whole thing is just so ridiculous that uh, if you don't want it to look like a date or you don't want all of these other things, you know, he's going so out of his way uh, to try and make this. It's the one question I really don't understand about this movie is is why she some seemingly um, starts to come after him uh, in some way and devises all of these plans, which you're kind of you're slowly revealed through the course of the movie and then finally at the end that um, she uh, or that she and the mother are in kind of cahoots together uh, in order to um, like spend time with him. Um, and I don't know what it is about mothers and trying to um, set their sons up and uh, so that they can, I don't know, um, have some type of romantic relationship with certain women, but um, it's certainly not an uh, outplayed um, <laughs> line of inquiry. Yes, I'm well aware. So, uh, now, uh, this obviously leads to the end of it where they have a fight. Uh, Pat tries to go after Tiffany. Um, she starts to... Um, like scream bloody murder essentially that he's trying to harass her 
And the song that was playing earlier in the um, doctor's office starts to play. He has a reoccurrence of his uh, triggered episodes. Um, The Stevie Wonder song, My Sharia More. And all of a sudden she realizes the severity of his issues. And it's, again, one of these scenes where you just kind of see the um, severity kind of come out uh, slowly of what he's really dealing with. Well, I think it's a situation of clearly um, she saw more in him than he saw in himself. So, um, and then she realized, um, I I think she didn't quite understand the demons that he was uh, living with. And then that scene does kind of let those demons out makes it clear what he's what's going on with him well naturally that only leads to um the issue where he's trying to give her an envelope to give to his ex-wife and meets one of her let's say boyfriends at the door uh only to shoo him away um as her parents are trying to do to him um she sees this whole escapade uh take place And instead of um, just simply delivering the envelope as she had promised, she now uh, asks him for an exchange where uh, he does her a favor. She does not name it at the time, um, but uh, that um, it does develop one of the crux uh, conversations of the movie. Essentially that uh, he wants to get back together with his wife and uh, she wants him to be closer to her, even though... Um, it's not explicitly stated. Yes. I, I think that's exactly the case. And uh, this is some, some, to some extent a contrived thing on her part to try to force time because time really is and shared experience is the basis upon which love is established. Well, I frankly believe that about every relationship. That it's um, shared experience, uh, whether that's friendship or uh, family or anything else, that you have a certain level of bond um, in any type of relationship due to that. There is a certain level of proximity, and that's why I've always, you know, not to go down a weird road here, but um, long-distance relationships can't carry on that same way, that it's a certain level of vicariousness that you can't really appreciate. So... Um, but this does also give us kind of a reveal into Pat's, uh, delusions, um, just highlighted, um, I, I'll pull out and some of this is not direct quotes. It's kind of over the course of it, but, um, we're in love. We'd want to change each other, but that's normal. Couple fight, couples fight, we'd fight and we wouldn't talk for a couple of weeks, but that's normal. I'm my best self and she's her best self and our love is going to be amazing. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, okay, it's normal not to talk for a couple of weeks. Uh, Yeah. In what situation does any relationship work where you're just not talking to each other for a couple of weeks? I mean, we kind of skipped over the fact that it's revealed early on in his first therapy session, but that he called in like a conspiracy theory about his wife and the history teacher a week before he actually uh, beat the history teacher almost to death. So, like, he's clearly got some breaks with some levels of reality 
which I don't well, think they he show. Also, he was also understanding that there was something going on between the two of them. But I, you know, I think there is um, some level where they probably could have gone harder or driven harder into the um, manic phases of this. But I don't think it would be as um, charming a film, at least to me, uh, if they had really delved more into the mental health side of things. I mean, they do enough just to show the severity, but they don't um, make it so that it's the only thing that the audience focuses on. So um, we uh, are introduced to uh, some of the uh, football watching then. Um, Danny comes out of the hospital. He's uh, being given the special remotes uh, by Pat Sr. because the Eagles are winning. And... um, uh, that will obviously come back around, but uh, I, I can just say sad, really sad, how they try to be Packer fan wannabes. The rabidness. What do you mean by that? They're just you know the level of rabidness. Okay. Not there, just not there. No, I'll disagree wholeheartedly. Philadelphia they, they, fans they are rabid. They uh, have actually nothing to root for, and they're just terrible fans. Well, they, they what they do is is instead of you know being real passionate about their team, they just convert it to violence and figure that that's passion. <laughs> yeah. So um, this is Sorry, where we Philly get... fans, if you're out there listening, but well, you threw snowballs at Santa Claus. <laughs> I, I I'm sorry. I I personally don't care much for Philadelphia or Philadelphia fans. Um, you know, oh well. You well, can take out on Twitter. Right that across that I across the river from New Jersey. Wow, that's that's fair. So, um, anyway, uh, this leads into Pat's first dance class, um, and we kind of get we finally find out how Tommy died, and it's in kind of a really weird situation where. Uh, He's they're in kind of an unusual state, um, particularly, and we kind of see how her obsession with uh, pr- promiscuity kind of comes about that they were having troubles being intimate together, and he tries to go buy her uh, some lingerie to get s- some things going and is uh, stops to help somebody with their car, ultimately to be hit by somebody um, by another car and killed. Um, with the uh, uh, gift still in the front seat, she uses uh, in her grief um, kind of to relate or obsesses on the thing that uh, ultimately led to why he died in the first place. Um, So I I think this is probably one of the more uh, destructive um, instances of the movie where uh, we can kind of get more into her psyche as well, because the further we explore into Pat, uh, the further we explore into her in order to get this or understand the relationship between the two. Yeah, <clears throat> I can understand that, I guess. Um, <clears throat> she she referred to it as emotion, trying to show emotion. And I... I I guess I had a hard time relating how it could be just an emotion. What do you mean by that? Well, she just kind of made it clinical. 
I mean, your husband dies because he's put himself in a situation because of something you did. That's not just emotion. That's guilt. But yet there's not a sense of guilt that you derive from that scene. Yeah. I I, I suppose. Um, but you understand where she's come from, uh, at least a little bit into that piece. And this is really when the second half of the movie kind of kicks off. Um, you know, some people or some movies, uh, unfortunately, um, they have a great premise and a great first hour, and then they kind of die over the second half uh, because they don't have that finishing kick. And really, what this does is set up this <laughs> second half where they do this bargain, and he's spending time with her, and they're going to do this dance competition, and he starts to focus or um, uh, obsess about something completely different. He's no longer reading the books. He's not worried about all of his fitness and running. He's doing all of the dance practice in order for them to work on their routine. Well, I'm going to go different. There's not okay. two, There's not two parts to this film. There's three. Okay. So the first part is the arc. Him slugging up the hill, trying to get to a point of stability where he's getting his life organized. Okay. Then there's a, a part where he's at the top of the hill and he's just level, which is her dancing with him, or him dancing with her, him spending this time, him focused on something more positive and productive than Nikki. Then the, the third part of the film is the scene where they make the bet and the revelation uh, that he has in the front yard that Nikki never wrote the response letter, that it was Tiffany who did. And at that point, his demeanor, his attitude, his emotions, his mental status completely changed. So, and that's him coming down from the hill. He's now reached the valley or the point of his uh, healing. Well, and you're, you're jumping a little bit ahead of where um, part of this is at, but um, this is kind of at the point in the movie, at least, where um, Deniro kind of expresses his guilt toward Pat right before uh, he makes the big bet on the Giants game. You know, I didn't spend enough time with you earlier, but it's about now. I want to do everything I can to help you back on your feet. And, um, you know, all of these good things that are going on with you and all of the positive energy that is being put into this, he thinks it's all about um, trying to capitalize on a certain bet um, that he can do with the Giants game, uh, ultimately to be undone by um, kind of a, an odd set of, like, racism that just kind of implanted into the middle of this movie. Uh, I mean, it's not unusual given how you know how football fans are and um, guys with uh, too much beer, but still. Um, well, I thought it was interesting because um, <clears throat> that's the other thing. As much as he resented uh, mental health treatment, medication and everything, what ends up happening 
<clears throat> is, is he gets into trouble by going to the rescue of not only his brother, but his therapist. Yeah, I mean, it's an ironic twist of fate um, that, you know, all of this kind of culminates in that. But it, and instead of, like, the whole thing unraveling, uh, it kind of leads to the whole um, final kickoff of the, the movie where, um, you know, frankly, it's probably the reason Jennifer Lawrence won Best Actress for this movie is she um, comes in and is pissed that Pat misses practice but it's because he's, you know, kind of in trouble with all of the police for getting in the middle of the fight. And uh, she uh, basically explains the whole uh, structure that all of his superstitions are um, mixed that, um, you know, is finally leading to the whole Excelsior moment. But um, ultimately, or Pat spending more time with her is the positive influence that he's needed in his life. And ever since that's happened things have actually gotten better for him, which is kind of like, you know, a certain level of symbolism, but um, is a little bit more overt. Yeah. <clears throat> but, I mean, that happens. A positive relationship can make the world of difference in all aspects of your life. Well, and I, I don't want to necessarily limit that to romantic relationships either, but... Um, you know, I, I would tend to agree. So um, that leads to kind of the final reveal where, um, you know, after she's given him uh, a copy of Nikki's letter already to this point, uh, and he reads it and kind of they highlight the one, you know, reading the signs line, uh, which comes back around. Uh, Pat realizes Tiffany's wrote the letter for him that she never actually gave his letter to Nikki. Um, and she's actually been setting things up behind the scenes anyway, um, so that uh, we get the final uh, bet. Now, I'll be honest, uh, I was not up on any part of gambling or sports gambling at this point when I originally watched the movie, so this is where I learned the term parlay. Uh, obviously, sports gambling is um, felt a little bit differently than it was uh, eight years ago. Uh, but, um, please, my, your grandfather took you to the dog track and did parlays and had, you I didn't pick. know what it meant. He had you pick and he won a parlay. He won like $1,900 back in like 1996 uh, or 97. Okay. And that may be, but I had no idea what it was when he took me. I was like seven. <laughs> Yeah. I just pointed to whichever one. Like, I had no freaking clue. But, you know, eight years ago, sports gambling was kind of like a taboo subject. Now we have ESPN running whole shows on it. Yeah. Well, so, we have an entire channel on Sirius XM with Brent Musburger. So, uh, but uh, it sets up the parlay bet. Not only... Uh, do the Eagles have to beat the Cowboys to end the season uh, in order to make the playoffs that year? But uh, ultimately, Pat and Tiffany have to uh, do at least, you know, moderately well at the dance competition. Uh, and uh, Pat Sr. will win a, all of his money back. Well, not just all of his money back. He'll win twice his money back. That's what the parlay means, is, is you... He gets his money back plus what he bet. 
So he doubled his money. It would have been four times the loss. So, so if you have $1,000, it's double or nothing. You've lost it. It's now $2,000. And then the parlay, I mean, he got, he did well. Let's just put it that way. But they contrive a lie to tell Pat that Nikki's going to come to the dance competition. And then she um, actually shows up, uh, unbeknownst to uh, Tiffany and anybody else. She freaks out, starts having drinks at the bar. Uh, but um, ultimately, Pat takes her onto the dance floor. The uh, Eagles beat the Cowboys, and it's just up to uh, the dance in order to win the second part of the parlay. Um, now, uh, the tension between the two during this whole thing, I mean, the noticeable um, both emotional and sexual tension, uh, I thought actually really worked uh, in this particular scene. Um, and, uh, um, ultimately, of course, uh, they scored just well enough in order to win the parlay and everybody goes nuts, but, um, the whole thing ends in that emotional sequence where, uh, I already shared that at the beginning or at the top of the show, um, you know, Pat re or tells her that he loves her and, you know, now they, uh, have gotten back together or gotten together and everybody's good. So. Um, now two points I would like to make about this film. Number one, Pat's okay. got to be either a moron or completely deranged at one point because whoever writes a letter, especially to a spouse, and just types their name at the bottom because they show the letter that Nikki wrote and it says at the bottom, Love Nikki. Nobody does that. You sign your name. You at least put your personal notation on it. Love, then you sign your first name. It's not on there. First so giveaway. So you're saying it should have been a dead giveaway. Okay. Should have been a dead giveaway. Second, all of a sudden, we go from him having the revelation that she wrote the letter to him becoming like uber focused and completely healthy and mentally sound. He doesn't do anything bizarre. He doesn't do anything. And it's like the, the entire healing of his mental health takes place in the span of the last 20 minutes of the film. Well, I don't think that that's true. I don't think he heals and that it's just miraculous, but he finally figures it out that or what's been going on and he realizes his own feelings for it. I mean, that more than anything. I mean, you can tell right away he wouldn't compliment her or start flirting with her and then immediately back away if he didn't have some light type of um, strong feeling for her initially. There is a certain chemistry and connection when you just meet somebody that comes off, yeah. and he continuously has done this. This has been a whole elation up to that point. It's not that it just suddenly clicks and that he's, like, better. It's that they don't focus on the mental health aspect, and he's kind of figured out, hmm, this is the positive part of what my life should be. Well, yeah, you obviously know that he's attracted to her because there's the scene where she takes off her, her halter top with his or back 
or with her back to him, and he just stands there and kind of, <laughs> you know. Thank you for bringing Bugs Bunny to Silver Lightning's playbook, but all right. But, yeah, all right. So, what is this movie actually about? I am removing the 15 words or 10 words limitation. Just what is this movie about? Um, I don't know. That's the problem I've had. I've been debating this. Is it uh, mental health? Is it being or focusing on the positive is in your life? Is it or dealing with positive relationships? Um, I guess to some extent is, is trying to find what's good about no matter what life deals you. All right. So I'll, I'll give mine then. But so just to set this part of it up, you've been trying to quote, um, Tony Robbins back to me and all these other people. So uh, outcome plus reaction, or excuse me, event plus out or reaction equals outcome. Okay. Yeah. So essentially what this is to me, the worst parts of ourselves or our lives don't by themselves define us. It is our reactions to those that give us our possible silver linings. Two people through their brokenness find solace in each other. Okay. They choose to move on and do it by getting help from the other person, that they're influenced by finding um, a relationship, but they only find it through their brokenness and that they can relate to the other through it. Okay. I'll agree. That doesn't I mean, make for very interesting podcasting. Well, again, it... This is one where, depending on what color the lens is on your glasses, is what you see. Okay. I think you can easily say this is a story of mental health. You can easily say this is a story of relationships. You can uh, see this as being uh, a story about finding the right person in your life. It, you can see this as being focusing on the positive instead of worrying about the negatives. You can see this as being a situation where people are trying or where your life should be based on what, you know, going with the flow instead of trying to control it. So, again, uh, I don't know if I've revealed this to the audience before. But one of the things that I always come back to, you know, why why do you like certain movies? Why do you not? And it's always been my problem with kind of the anti-hero type of trope is I love characters that have a certain level of catharsis or that find a way to grow through the course of the movie. And the whole movie is about both of them putting their lives back together, that they went through these highly traumatic situations and that they learn to grow and are in better places by the end of it. I mean, it doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. You describe and you go through all of the pain and the problems that they uh, individually went to to kind of set up who they were. But ultimately, the whole point of the thing is, is that they um, not necessarily fix, but like become each other's silver lining. Okay. That they wouldn't have been together or been part of that had it not been all of the things they had to go through in order to get to that point. 
but that's what everything is. That's who you are at any moment in time is a combination of what you put into the, the wastebasket and what other people throw in there as well. And that's who you are. And you have to define whether you think that that's, it's the same, it's the, uh, it's the rummage sale principle. What's your trash is somebody else's treasure and how you perceive it. So I don't know. I, why don't we get to the um, questions or the scoring right. process here and, and deal with this? You're kind of jumping uh, ways ahead. Well, okay. So um, best performance? Hmm. Um. I think, or I, I think Jennifer Lawrence was the most had the biggest impression on me, if not her, the mother. Okay. Well, I, I think um, it's notable to say Jennifer Lawrence. I mean, she did win best uh, actress for this movie, notably. Um. I don't want to understate uh, how well I think Cooper played um, kind of all of the manic parts of this without um, going over uh, and that he's kind of he becomes obsessive or uh, he goes over all of his um, little mannerisms and the rest of that I thought were uh, significant to this. But um, ultimately, I think she becomes kind of the heart of the movie. And uh, most of the action, particularly in the second half of the movie, is made by her performance. Okay. So, uh, best minor performance? Again, I'd say the mother. Okay. She seems to be the glue that holds the family together. So, Jackie Weaver. Jackie Um, Weaver. I've never seen her in anything else, uh, to be honest. I don't think I have either, but... um, for me, it was David O. Russell's screenplay. Um, I just, I, I loved kind of the way it was scripted and a lot of the dialogue that was uh, presented and just kind of how it worked and uh, how they edited it a lot together um, worked for me more than anything else. And I, I've always been drawn to good writing, um, particularly through good dialogue, um, which is kind of ironic because that's probably... <laughs> The thing as a, just kind of a novice writer I always stink at the most, but uh, most charismatic award. Well, I, I would give that to Cooper. I would too, but I do want to give a special mention to Chris Tucker. Yeah, I mean, yeah, okay. He did, I, he did do a nice job in this. Again, he's not like a huge part of the film. But he's notable in almost every scene he's in. Like, you would forget if it wasn't him, anybody else in the movie. But he becomes like the centerpiece of almost every scene that he's a part of. And it's just like kind of how he plays himself. See, I have this. uh, Yeah, I can understand that. And I I guess he does. But the reason I picked Cooper is is I'm starting to think about it. Because you think about how good... Uh, a star of, was born, or a star is born, was, and how deadpan Cooper was in in it. I mean, people just kind of put him off as to what he did and accomplished with it, whether his acting. I, I have a feeling Bradley Cooper might be one of, or be our, or this generation's 
version of, say, Cary Grant or, um, uh, Car- or yeah, I guess, because Cary Grant never won an, or an Academy Award because he just looked so good. People just never really thought about his acting. And no, I think he's, to some extent, he's, he's not Cary Grant. Well, or you could even say John Wayne, which is no, it's not even it's not the right comp. So Cooper has been nominated a crap ton of times already, and he's starting to direct. Okay, you want to know who the real comp is? It's Redford. Okay, like they're both extraordinarily good looking, but they didn't get, you know, their big starts until they were in their mid or early to mid thirties. And, um, they started doing some directorial work that kind of took them to another level. Uh, you could maybe say Eastwood where he's played some stuff, but, uh, I think, um, Eastwood's not nearly as charismatic as Redford or Cooper is and that they're just extremely likable, but they're kind of, Screw-ups. And then again, there are parts that separate Cooper that uh, I could say that aren't part of anything I've seen from Redford. Yeah. But I think that that Redford's a much better comp. I, I can see that. Now that you actually say it, I could. I just couldn't quite get where I was trying to go with this. Because there's just certain actors that that... People say, yeah, well, okay, he, he did a good job, but he, not that people want to go, oh, that was so outstanding. And I think in part is, is he, he is just so damn good looking. It's it's criminal that somebody should look that good. Yeah, I mean, I can I can buy that. But then we then again, you and I have said that about a lot of different people, and our jealousy is clearly, um, uh, or at least envy is uh, clearly showing. So. Um, all right, best scene? I, I love the whole scene with uh, the bet and the parlay starting, because I think that's really the climax of the film. So, uh, to me, that was uh, my nominee for what's uh, our next thing is favorite scene. So, uh, Excelsior is the state motto of New York. Yeah. Um, you know, I do like the initial meeting in the dinner scene, but... Uh, for me, the best one, and it's because of everything that was going on um, earlier on in the movie, but it's him searching for his wedding video because he's just met Tiffany. Uh, he clearly has this underlying um, desire to be with her, but he's conflicted. She offers to let him have sex with her, and he says no because he's got this obsession with trying to get back together with his wife. So he starts searching for the wedding video. And he's in such a state that he accidentally hits his mom. And then we see all of De Niro's uh, projections, him obsessively beating on Pat. And uh, all of the things that go into that scene between uh, all three of them, where uh, you're getting a performance by the mom, you're getting a good performance by De Niro, and you're getting his uh, a good performance by Cooper. I just thought it was probably the best... Um, acted scene of the whole thing it may not not be the most consequential but it's the one that probably dealt the most with mental health and kind of how all of these three people were in all of these relationships okay so fine i i i'll stick by mine just because it was a climactic moment in the film 
I wasn't asking you to move off of yours. Okay. All right. So anyway. Favorite scene? My favorite scene was the scene leading up to the dance, which is he's walking around and he sees Nikki across the dance floor and he doesn't overreact. He keeps really calm and cool and he searches out and gets uh, Tiffany in, finds her, gets her off the out of the bar where she's uh, in or drinking vodka and starting to get flirty with another guy. And um, uh, I, I find that scene to be that shows or is the exemplification of how he is where he has reached the point or the point where, that he has reached. All right, I, I can buy it. I mean, uh, I do enjoy that scene, but it's just kind of for me, it was always a little bit more of a transitional uh, piece. So, um, but you know, I can appreciate that. So, uh, best line. Um, I don't know. I guess I do like the whole thing about where she's going through the whole litany of how she's the best thing that happened to him for the Eagles. And then the state motto of, of, uh, New York Excelsior. Yeah, there is a really good monologue in that whole thing, and I couldn't necessarily find it, but, um, you know, she goes through all of the individual scores and um, the uh, Philly playoff games and everything else that was uh, going on in 2008. Um, and uh, But for me, I'll nominate, um, I was a slut. There was always part of me that is dirty and sloppy, but I like that. Just like all the other parts of myself, I can forgive. Can you say for the same for yourself, fucker? Can you forgive? Are you capable of that? Okay. And I, I just think, and that's kind of part of that whole um, uh, back and forth uh, discussion where she's really trying to push him um, to spend time with her by doing the whole dance uh, competition. And, you know, he's reticent to try and get into that. Um, but that uh, it really sets up kind of the stakes moving forward. So... Yeah. All right. Um, honorable mentions. Uh, and this one is more just for you than anything else. So um, I do love Pat Senior's um, little piece right before the ending there. Um, and it's probably De Niro's best monologue of the whole thing outside of his kind of emotional reveal of his guilt of uh, kind of his understanding that he passed on his bipolar. But um, let me tell you, I know you don't want to listen to your father. I didn't listen to mine, and I'm gonna. I'm telling you, you got to pay attention this time. When life reaches out at a moment like this, it's a sin if you don't reach back. I'm telling you, it's a sin if you don't reach back. It'll haunt you the rest of your days like a curse. You're facing a big challenge in your life right now at this very moment right here. That girl loves you. She really, really loves you. I don't know if Nikki ever did, but she sure as shit doesn't right now. So don't fuck this up. <laughs> uh it just reminded me so much of the um, times that you've tried to do the same thing, you know, one way or another uh, during the course of my life. It seems like the father's anthem. And I just love the fact that they kind of bring that back around. So, yeah, it was a great moment. 
I mean, it's probably one of the better parts. And I think this is a movie filled with um, tons of quotes and different stuff. But just, you know, that one uh, did the best for me. So um, I already gave a couple of the my funny line nominees uh, earlier in, but um, Raisin Bran and then kind of that first meeting, what did you have? I know you were struggling potentially with this or finding the funny in this movie. I still, I mean, I, I deal with this every day. I have a hard time finding funny, even in the lines. Um, I, I, no, I, I just could not find a line that I thought was, that was funny. There's a certain sadness even in the lines that are funny. To me, anyway, because well, I understand it's the very situation. dark humor. Okay, yeah, I'll give you that, but I just, I just had a very difficult time with it. All right, uh, most indelible moment for me, it's the ending. Just you know that whole kind of that, even your what you called it that third part, but um, either between Jennifer Lawrence's big monologue piece where she's kind of describing how she's his silver lining and why everything positive has been because of her, even through the dance. And then like, you know, you know that they're going to win the bet, obviously, but you don't exactly know how it's going to do. And that scene just still works for me. And then finally, I am always going to be a sucker for a great rom-com speech. Uh, You know, whether it's the ending of Harry Met Sally or it's the letter he writes to Tiffany at the end of this, you know, I, I literally wrote down, I love a, I fucking love a good speech. <laughs> okay, I guess. I, it, I, it's going to be the romantic in me until we're done doing these movies. All right. All right. Yeah. So uh, we'll move into um, the grading. So um, I'm likely to have graded this probably higher than you. And this is the trick with some of these more recent movies is we don't uh, have the same hindsight. So this might be eventually up for a uh, nominee for a revisit at some point. Uh, probably not immediately, but uh, so for legacy, I'll just make my kind of argument. This isn't a movie that like, other than it's been on Netflix for, I don't know, probably as long as I can remember at this point um, is something that like a lot of people talk about. It's not part of the consciousness. It's not something um, that we go back to. Really, its biggest legacy is is, um, Bradley Cooper um, doing more serious artistic work came more after this film. Um, Really up to this point, he was known for the Hangover franchise and being the bad guy in Wedding Crashers, but kind of kicked off his whole decade of um, Oscar tries. you know, culminating in his directorial debut and redoing A Star is Born last year. And then um, uh, we uh, kind of get to Jennifer Lawrence winning her Oscar and uh, everything that's going on with that. So um, I had it at a six and a half uh, just because of uh, those things of kind of how it kickstarted certain pieces of the career. But, um, you know, I, I don't know where you're sitting at. Five. So you had a five? Yes, I had a five. Simply because it's, you know, the the extent by which they did mental illness was was a little, you know, 
unique, but there's not that much that's unique, and I don't see that the tail has been real large. No, and, like, frankly, as far as David O. Russell's concerned, I mean, he did a couple of other uh, movies after this with Jennifer Lawrence that got her nominated, but, like, she hasn't been in serious conversation for uh, winning another award um, other than launching kind of their two careers. Like, Russell has not really done anything. This is probably his peak film, um, and uh, outside of it, um, I, you know, this isn't a, a movie that was discussed as part of, like, the top 10 of anybody or even top 25 of anybody's decade. Um, I mean, I individually love this movie, but I, I, I understand where it is. So I guess I'll come down to probably a five and a half then. Is that acceptable? Fine. All right. So um, what did you have for impact or significance? Five for the same reasons I indicated previously. Boy, and I think there's going to be probably a big separation. Now, just a notable, I mean, this was nominated for Best Picture, Director, Actor, Adapted Screenplay, Film Editing, Supporting Actor and Actress, and did win for Best Actress. So I did think it's not one of it's certainly not the first um to deal with mental illness it's not the first to deal with um a manic state or you know any of these other things but i do think it did have a little bit of um furthering maybe the conversation in a way that other movies hadn't um and i do think that again you just look on where Bradley Cooper's kind of gone from here. Um, I do think his career kind of taking off does give this an extra layer, at least like a half point bump. So I don't know if I'm willing to go under a six on that. All right. You may, you convinced me I'll go six. And it's why I also was kind of high on the novelty score, kind of in the same way. And I know that some of these um, things run together, but kind of making a rom-com about, um, mental illness you know i i don't know if there are too many other movies that really kind of did anything quite like that it was unique that i will give it to that extent i would go seven and a half all right i had it in an eight but seven and a half is probably a good settling number so um now here's the part where like this not being so very old Like, the only part that didn't age well for me, and again, this is another one where it comes back around, is it had Weinstein at the beginning of the movie. Outside of that, like, I don't think there's any particular part of this. Uh, The only other thing is, is, like, it's a positive um, piece where, like, all this suffering Eagles fans, and now they've actually won a Super Bowl so they can shut the fuck up for another 50 years. But, like, I I didn't have a problem with anything. So, uh, unfortunately... Like, I'm not going to nitpick this piece apart. Um, the classicness for me has got to be a little higher. I can't give it, like, full marks or anything else, but I had to go at an eight and a half. And again, it's just... Mm, I had seven. Okay, explain yourself. Well, it's... There's certain aspects that it'll hold up. I will say that much. And... Um, it's it's subject matter that is going to continue to be in place in the future. And in fact, 
as we go f- through this whole COVID-19 situation, they were talking about the lagging pandemic that's going to happen, which is called mental illness as a result of people being isolated. So, um, uh, yeah, but I just don't see this as being having the legacy. You know, it's not like 20 years from now, people are going to look back and reminisce and go, oh, yeah, Silver Linings Playbook. Yeah, I remember that film. Well, but I already said that at the top. It's not that it's... See, like, the classicness as far as certain things, I do think that the way they treat mental illness um, is a little bit more daring, and so it's going to end up holding up a little bit longer uh, than some other um, ways we've discussed it. Um, But I don't... I don't know. Like, the conversation moves so quickly sometimes that it's hard to know how we're going to feel in 2030 by the time we're, you know, on the back stretch of some of these uh, podcast episodes and how we're currently looking at the same conversation. Yeah, I guess. So, and that's why it just, um, based upon that, I, I don't know where we're going to be at. But what did you have again for, re- or for, oh, okay, never Seven. mind. So I'll give it a seven and a half. Now, here's the one where you and I are probably going to really diverge. I've watched this movie probably a dozen times at this point. It's an eight-year-old movie. Um, I think you, this is what, your second viewing? Yes. So I gave it an eight, but just quickly give me yours. And I think we're just going to have to split the difference. I know you don't react to this movie in the same way that I do. Well, I, like I said, I had a hard time. I was trying to judge it outside of my emotional reaction, so I gave it a 6.5. Okay. So uh, I think I can bring it up to a 7, then. I'd go um, 7.5, because even then, my my guttural feeling on this is probably wrong. Well, I don't know. I, I want to respect that, you know, your opinion is, is what it is, but and you okay, can't so really. It's tied to my emotions, and it's but, probably not a rational thought. Okay, but this gets back to the conversation that uh, you know you you ask me what I think about a film most of the time, and whether or not um, I uh, think it's a best picture quality. And I, I'm telling you, every time that um, we've had this discussion, every single calendar year. It's always the same thing. It's whether or not walking out of the theater, I had a certain gut reaction that that was a really good film, that it translated to me emotionally, that I could get past all of the like other pieces right. because you want an emotional reaction from something that's artistic. And separating out the emotion is not something that I think is warranted or necessary. Like, I understand your appeal of trying to do this, and part of this podcast is to separate, you know, out um, or give us a more rational way of figuring out what the greatest movie is. But even so, you and I are basing it on our subjective notes of how we feel about these things, even in those categories, in order to figure that out. All right. Well, okay. So, anyway, uh, so that puts us... Uh, add in the 8.6 for the audience score. It only received 86%. The critics were a little higher on this one, 
They had a 92 overall on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, comes out for a 42.6 uh, overall score. Um, and uh, I think that places this um, kind of in our bottom tier as our 11th episode of um, ones that we've uh, viewed so far. Um, let me just bring up the overall list. And right now, that would put it uh, just above um, Rocky and Inglorious Bastards, I believe. Okay. So, I mean, that's not one I would have necessarily predicted. Um, and again, you know, as time goes by, um, we may feel differently about this, which is why uh, I think, you know, once a quarter we'll try and look at, um, you know, some of the uh, other ones we've uh, done um, to see kind of how those have played out uh, if we need to revisit any, but okay. that's where I think it's sitting at at the moment. So, uh, any other last thoughts? No, I, I, I don't. I mean, I probably should watch it again a third time that's more recent so that the initial shock value of it isn't quite where it was, but um, you know, I, I just, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to quite express it. I've been trying, racking my brain, trying to think of how to express exactly how I feel about the film. I know it's a good film and it's probably, uh, extremely well done and well acted, but I just have a hard time with the subject matter, I guess. Well, and and why does it kind of put you in that category, or why uh, having you have deal to having to deal with people in this situation, and having in my career having to watch uh, families break up and marriages dissolve, and I don't find any of this to be anything that I find enjoyable. And when I go to a film, I want to have a moment of just enjoyment, something beyond my own reality and so when i have to experience stuff that i find repulsive it just makes me cringe a bit i guess i can understand that i mean some the way you react to certain films is always going to be your reaction overall and uh, like i just said you don't want to necessarily set up the, you know, the emotion some things are going to be harder to watch than others and like, I, I know there are some films on here that are going to be much more of uh, testing um, for us than others. But, um, you know, that's that's where we're going to just end up. You know, that's why we watch these movies to begin with. So, uh, all right. So just projecting ahead to next week, um, we've got uh, Slumdog Millionaire coming up next week. It's still currently on HBO um, for anybody that wants to watch along with us. Um, we expect to be back and be able to post that, um, hopefully next week. Um, if, uh, not, we do have a couple of, uh, bonus episodes that, uh, might be upcoming here in the near future. Um, I do want to clear up. This is our 11th, uh, actual episode, but, um, this is only the ninth film we've reviewed, 
so far, uh, at least for podcast episodes. Uh, like I said, we have a couple in reserve uh, just as backup. Uh, but the week after uh, Slumdog Millionaires, one of your favorites that I know you're going to look forward to, uh, Groundhog Day, uh, currently on Netflix. Extremely underrated film. Extremely underrated film. Well, and I, I think that's going to be a great conversation between the two of us for the legacy of kind of how that one goes about. So, uh, But otherwise... Um, We've been trying out some new formats in the last couple of weeks. Uh, if anybody has any feedback they'd like to give us, uh, we'd be happy to hear it. Uh, you can email the podcast at uh, or email me at uh, tj3.duncan at gmail.com. Uh, you can find me at Twitter at, at tj3duncan. Um, you can visit the website that's uh, going to be in the show notes, but um, is tj3duncan.wixsite.com. Um, that uh, I keep a running list and all of the uh, articles that go along with the podcast. Um, we are looking to also have a couple of uh, co-hosts or guest hosts for some specialty episodes upcoming. And uh, we're also starting to look ahead to um, kind of our um, 25th uh, celebratory episode. Uh, we're going to hopefully do some of the best and biggest films on kind of those um, uh, big uh, milestone marker episodes each year so 25 and 50 are going to be the big ones for this year we've got some things planned for you guys so uh, hopefully we'll see you next week and uh, have a great week everybody I do wish we could chat longer but I'm having an old friend for dinner after all tomorrow is another day as always, please subscribe, rate, and comment on the show from wherever you get your podcasts. It will help everyone else find the show and share in the fun. If you would like to suggest a movie we should review or potentially guest star on one of the episodes, please follow either Dana or I on Twitter uh, at TJ3Duncan or at Dana W. Duncan.